Hi everybody, this is Dr. Jerovic, and this podcast is going to just review a little bit more about um, puberty, um, specifically with uh, girls, erectile dysfunction, menopause, and some gender issues. So when thinking about somebody who's transitioning from maybe male to female transitioning, or either way, female to male, it's important to use pronouns that match the physical description, um, physical presentation of that person. So if the person is dressed in a dress and their name, their legal name is Matthew, we would want to use she. However, the absolute best approach is to just ask them, do you prefer, what pronouns do you prefer? Um, some people may not even prefer he or she. They may prefer they or their or things like that. So it's really important for us to ask them. <clears throat> but if you mess up, apologize and move forward. Those long apologies make it worse. Um, so there are some interventions for transgender people who experience gender dysphoria. And of course, gender dysphoria is when there's discomfort with one's natal sex, meaning what they're born with. And some of these options are available. Um, the person <clears throat> um, who is having changes in their gender expression, uh, they could either be done part-time or full-time. So they may choose to um, go through psychotherapy to help explore gender identification and expression. It helps with improved body image or strengthen their coping mechanisms. <clears throat> the person who's um, Transitioning may also use hormones to either feminize or masculinize the body. And surgery can also be done to change the primary and or secondary sex characteristics. So, for example, um, breast, chest, facial features, internal, external genitalia, um, Adam's apple <clears throat> reduction in size. I know one of my um, niece's friends, um, she's transgender, and that was one of her surgeries. Um, if gender and sexuality are relevant to the patient's presenting health problems, it's okay then for us to ask specific questions to determine how these factors may impact their care, uh, reassure that the patients that their responses are confidential and that we're not going to be sharing that with any family, friends, or significant others um, without their permission, of course, just like we would do for anybody for HIPAA. <clears throat> However, evidence of abuse, if we would find that somebody's being abused secondary to their gender or sexuality, um, that does have to be reported by law. <clears throat> Appropriate screening questions that we could ask as far as gender and sexuality um, might be something like, are you experiencing any challenges, concerns, or anxiety related to your sexuality, um, related to your gender, how do you identify? Are you experiencing sadness, depression, or thoughts of hurting yourself? There is a high prevalence of um, suicide thoughts and uh, suicide for people who are, um, <clears throat> pardon me, are exploring other gender identities. Have you experienced any violence or discrimination in your personal or work life? Um, this sadly is very, very common. Um, a gentleman that I used to work with, <clears throat> he, um, he was not transgender, but he was, he was gay and he was at a convention and he was sharing a room with a patient, or not patient, but a, a person who was transgender. And that person talked about how many times that they had 
been physically abused and how that they're the fact that there are bathrooms that are now for either sex, how much that has um, made that person's life so much better and so much less violence and, and just things that we take for granted that <clears throat> these individuals have to deal with on a day in and day out basis. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, we could also ask them if they are currently being seen by a counselor or psychologist related to their sexuality. And then if they are, for them to elaborate on that. Um, hormone therapy. A patch is preferred over a pill um, for hormone therapy. There's less chance of venous thromboembolism with that. Of course, if we have a patient who's going to be on uh, transdermal estrogen, <coughs> pardon me, it's important that we teach the patient to apply that to a uh, hairless site so that they get good contact with the skin. And then, of course, with any patch, we would want them to wash off any excess drug when they remove it and then put the new patch in a new hairless place. We want to teach patients that are taking any form of estrogen about side effects, and that can be things anywhere from headaches to breast tenderness, nausea and vomiting, weight gain, and that can be from fluid retention. Or if there's weight loss, um, which personally I've never had from estrogen, but other people may, um, tell them to report increased feelings of anxiety or depression to their healthcare provider. And of course, estrogen can cause estrogen-dependent cancers. So some of our breast cancers and that um, are related to that. Hypertension, of course, again, that fluid, fluid retention can cause that. The venous thromboembolism, such as DVTs. <coughs> also estrogen, increased risk for gallbladder disease, and make sure that the patient knows to follow up with their healthcare provider so that they can be watching for any of these adverse drug effects. Um, they could also go through voice communication therapy um, because the hormones don't help with this. So if you have male to female, that voice may be deeper, <coughs> and they can actually go through some voice communication coaching where they can, they can work on the voice. Also want to consider reproduction. If you have a male to female transitioning, um, do they want to put some sperm in a sperm bank for um, having children later on? <coughs> and um, somebody who's transitioning from male to female, they still have those um, sex organs that are male. So they still have a prostate. So it's vital that we teach them about prostate screenings and that that needs to continue um, later on when the time is right. And this is one of those things that um, tends to get missed um, with somebody who is transitioning that some of those tests may not be done. And so it's really important for us to remind them. <laughs> now talking about menopause, um, perimenopausal, I kind of talked about this in classes, that transition from um, period to menopause, which can include hot flashes, irregular menstrual periods, night sweats, frequent nighttime awakening, daytime fatigue, decrease in sex drive, vaginal dryness, depression, urinary leakage, where menopause is the end of fertility. <clears throat> Average age for that is about 51, but being perimenopausal can last up to 10 years. And during that time, there's a decline in the ovarian hormones um, during that perimenopausal time. And if they still have a uterus, um, they may be taking some estrogen with progesterone to help protect the uterus. If their uterus has been removed from a hysterectomy, estrogen alone is fine. 
Uh, menopause can exacerbate other complications with aging, such as heart disease. Um, Premarin is one example of an estrogen medication that can be taken to help reduce those um, side effects. Vitamin D and calcium should be taken <clears throat> with anybody who is in menopause. There is that increased risk of osteoporosis. Um, and it can be taken with or without food. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. Now, erectile dysfunction, um, this can happen in, in men. And it's usually secondary to decreased blood flow, improper blood flow. So there, some of the things that can predispose somebody to erectile dysfunction is hypertension, um, diabetes, prostate surgery. So if they actually have prostate surgery, there is a, a, a very strong risk for erectile dysfunction. Actually drinking alcohol, you may have heard the term whiskey. I'm not going to say it, but it, it rhymes with prick. Um, so somebody drinks and it doesn't work because they've drank too much. And of course, we're talking about a man. <clears throat> um, so drinking can, can also uh, put somebody at risk for erectile dysfunction. Now there is a medication called sildenafil. Most of you probably know it by Viagra. That's a fast acting medication. It lasts anywhere from six to 12 hours. <clears throat> so you, um, the person who's taking this has to take it and then it, it works within about a half an hour or so. Now there's another medication uh, Levitra, that one is faster acting and it lasts um, a little bit long, um, about the same time too. And then Cialis, um, that's spelled C-I-A-L-I-S, that's a slow acting one, but that one lasts for two to three days. <coughs> so that one's going to take time for that to work, but they, they, that's the one where you see the commercials and they say, oh, for when the time's right at any time that, you know, you don't have to plan to take the pill. Um, some of the side effects that occur with these are um, stomach ache, flushing, headache. Um, these medications, um, sildenafil, Levitra, or Cialis, none of those should be taken in conjunction with nitroglycerin. The huge risk with that is a dangerous drop in blood pressure. Um, <clears throat> there's also um, an option for somebody who has erectile dysfunction. They can get an actual penile implant. Um, there can be a pump button that's up under the, the scrotum. Um, <clears throat> and, and I have taken care of some patients who've had the um, implants. And that's usually mostly for their, their partner's pleasures more so than them, themselves. And then thinking about um, how women generally develop. Um, most of us think about, um, you know, becoming... Um, the beginning of our, our puberty is, is the menses starting, when actually that's not even close. If you really think about it, um, that prepubescent signs, um, usually they start getting those breast buds. And you know, you think about that 11-year-old where you're thinking, hmm, does she quite need a brawl or not, or maybe even younger these days? Um, so that's really that development of the breast buds um, developing into breasts is the beginning of a, a female's puberty. And then once that has started, um, they'll usually most likely to start menstruation within the next two years. And um, pubic hair starts to grow within, you know, two to six months from within that um, prepubescent signs. So just a little bit of extra information as far as um, some of those specifics. 
if you have any questions about this or anything else, please let me know, and I hope this is helpful.